The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tung. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation and I'm your host, Peter Tung. Thank you for joining us today. The intention in these episodes is to give you insights into how the planet is shifting in frequency and vibration to a new level of awareness and how you can be part of this grand awakening. And I'm absolutely delighted to welcome to the show today Chris Dunn, who has done some absolutely fascinating research on the buildings and structures of Egypt and actually in other parts of the world. So, Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, Peter. It's a pleasure to be here. So perhaps we could uh, begin by you telling us a little bit about how you got involved in, in, uh, in doing the research that you do with these incredible structures around the world. Well, it's a, uh, it was quite a, an interesting path, really, as I look back on it, because I started out uh, working in an engineering company, and pretty much uh, everything for me was uh, <clears throat> working in three-dimensional space with objects creating... Uh, artifacts of, of modern day using lathes, mills, other kind of machine tools. And uh, that, that background brought me to America in 1969. And I continued to work in aerospace manufacturing for a number of years. But then I started to uh, seek out a new knowledge and got involved in this uh, a group in Canby, Indiana, of all places, believe it or not. And, but they were a, a lovely group of people, and it was a, uh, a New Age bookstore. And uh, in the bookstore, they, uh, they, had, they held philosophy classes, and they, we did meditations and things of that nature. So it was, uh, it was a, very, uh, a very calming, very peaceful, and also uh, mind-expanding experience at the time. And how, did that, was, and how did that take you to Egypt? Well... Uh, <clears throat> Indirectly, it uh, really propelled me on a path that uh, took me all over the world, not just Egypt. <laughs> the uh, and it was this one book uh, that was actually uh, uh, caught my attention, and it was called "The Secrets of the Great Pyramid" by Peter Tompkins. And we discussed in our philosophy classes as we discussed uh, world cultures, ancient religions, modern religion, and and different philosophers. Uh, the Great Pyramid was always a fascination to me, and so I started a discussion about the Great Pyramid in the group, and um, and then this book kind of became a source material for me in my studies, and I took it home to read, and as I 
<clears throat> became absorbed by Tompkins' uh, research and writings, it, it occurred to me that uh, there was a, much more to this structure than what uh, the the average layperson is is uh, is taught. And uh, essentially, what Tompkins brought out was the questioning and and uh, and skepticism of many many people in history, skepticism of the official point of view that the Great Pyramid was originally built as a tomb. And he seemed that if there was one uh, thread, one common thread throughout the whole book was it, it, it led to a big question mark regarding the true purpose of the Great Pyramid. And so what, what, is it that, what is it that the Egyptologists tell us about the Great Pyramid? Well, the, the Egyptologists tell us uh, that the Great Pyramid was the tomb of Khufu, and uh, the Khufu was a king of the fourth dynasty, and uh, they, start, they started uh, to build his pyramid uh, the day he was born, or the day he arose to the throne. Uh, and it, the uh, theory is that it took between 20 and 100 years to complete that they used uh, primitive tools such as uh, copper chisels, stone hammers, stone chisels, wooden mallets, and they dragged the stones up to the uh, Giza Plateau uh, on ramps and, uh, and the, <clears throat> using ropes and manpower. And then the, the book actually identified several engineers in the past David Davison from England was one of them. And basically, um, there I, they rejected that idea. Most, most uh, engineers that look at the uh, Great Pyramid reject the idea that it was done using very, very simple means because of the technical difficulty in, uh, that would be involved in not just the, uh, the quarrying and the, uh, the hauling, but also the hauling of the blocks, but also the how do they create the precision on the on the on the stones that went into building the Great Pyramid? So it's neat, it's neat actually, uh, Chris, that you have actually a blend of of the metaphysical and the engineering background, so you can put these two together. So what actually yeah. what actually is the evidence? What does the evidence show us about the, the building? Well, the evidence uh, is is very uh, clear, and uh, one of the uh, one of the premier researchers in, in history was Sir William Flinders Petrie, and he he was a surveyor. His father was an engineer, but he took to he spent ten years in Egypt, and he spent a, a quite a lot of time at at Giza, where the pyramids are. Uh, he actually took up lodging in a, a rock tomb. He and his wife, believe it or not, it's amazing what these old <laughs> Old explorers <laughs> suffered when, they, you know, just for their science and and, and discovery. You know, we we go to Egypt today and stay in a stay in a five star hotel with a swimming pool, and and he's staying in a rock tomb. But uh, that's an aside. But Petrie was very prolific in his research and his writings, and he used uh, surveyors' transits and uh, and was able to survey the entire plateau. What he found on the Great Pyramid was a, an, an extraordinary level of precision with which the uh, blocks were cut and 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 actually and put together. The, the casing stones 
were cut within 10 thousandths of an inch over 75 square inches. The 10 thousandths of an inch, for those who are not familiar with that particular tolerance, is about half the thickness of a thumbnail. And these blocks were put together so that you could barely, you know, put a, a knife blade between them. Some of the blocks on the inside that I noted were even closer than that. Uh, you can put a piece of paper between them. And the, the entire structure is extremely, extremely well fitted and precise. And, and so he also noted that the alignment of the pyramid was within three minutes of a degree of true north. And he was also the first to record the, uh, the angle of the pyramid. And he calculated it to be 51 degrees, 51 minutes uh, and 14 seconds, which is the pi, the pi factor. Actually, he, he said 51, 51 degrees, 52 minutes plus or minus uh, two minutes. But the, uh, <clears throat> so the, the angle of the pyramid was precise, the alignment was precise, the number of blocks that they put together with uh, extraordinary precision indicated that it, the pyramid uh, represented the state of the art of a civilization that was fairly advanced by, by modern standards. And uh, when we, you know, architects have studied the, the Great Pyramid and uh, there's one particular art architect that I've been in contact with that has been there several times. And of course, you know, he says that, well, <clears throat> the great, the ancient Egyptians could build anything they wanted. Uh, architects and builders today would have extraordinary difficulty if, if not find it impossible to build another great pyramid. So there, there's some extraordinary facts about the great pyramid. The uh, precision of the passageways, such as the descending passages, within 20 thousandths of an inch over 150 feet of its length, and that's the thickness of a thumbnail. And, and this is actually dug into the uh, the bedrock and down to a bedrock chamber. So the, uh, it's an extraordinary structure, and just being there is uh, is quite an extraordinary experience. Perhaps uh, for those listeners who have not been there, you could even just comment upon the size of the stones themselves. Yes, the, the size, the, uh, the casing stones weigh about 16 tons. The uh, average weight is, is uh, reported to be about two and a half tons and there's 2.3 million blocks of limestone and granite. The granite blocks in the, uh, the, uh, were, were, put to, were installed to assemble and, and assemble to create the king's chamber were brought from Aswan which is 500 miles uh, down the Nile and some of those weigh up to 70 tons apiece and there are thousands of tons of granite at the heart of the Great Pyramid and the remarkable thing about the, the, the king's chamber or the so-called king's chamber because I, I don't believe it was built uh, as a tomb, so there was no king in, in, interred there. Uh, there was no, has, has been no original burials found in any pyramid in Egypt. So that you know the 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 tomb theory is highly suspect. But taken the uh, the other phenomena that you find within the Great Pyramid, there's all kinds of uh, different uh, extraordinary phenomena and detail, uh, such as in the king's chamber you have the uh, the granite 
thousands of tons. The, the above the king's chamber are five layers of granite beams. These are the heaviest ones, and they weigh between 45 and 70 tons. And there's 43 of these that are, are installed in five layers above the king's chamber. And the question is, what were they? Why, why are they there? They call these spaces above the king's chamber relieving chambers but they don't relieve anything they only <laughs> hold up their own weight you know the the pressure of the pyramid is on these gable blocks above the entire assembly so but the the, the key um, and a clue to what they were doing with this chamber really you can if we go back to 19 96. Actually, you know what, Chris, I'm going to hold you there because let's come back to the key when we return after this first break. We'll keep our listeners on edge for a moment. This is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. Just a reminder to go to my website, www.petertung.com, and also www.myheartcenteredjourney.com. My uh, newsletter for June will be coming out shortly, and there will be some great articles uh, around some of the ceremonies we did in May, including the solar eclipse and also our Taurus workshop. And also looking forward to the first week of June, another power-packed week with the lunar eclipse and also with the Venus transit, all of these energies coming to support us on this uh, sacred journey that we're all on. Chris Dunn is my guest today, and he opened up the first segment, really uh, wetting our whistles for what is to come in terms of understanding the incredible structures of the, uh, the Great Pyramid in Giza and also some of the other structures and projects that will come to shortly. But Chris, just before the break, you were about to talk about the key to the spaces in the uh, just above the king's chamber. Yes, the um, and the key actually it, it is a it is a key if you consider it uh, a musical key. The um, <clears throat> in 1996, uh, an acoustics engineer by the name of Tom Danley actually confirmed what I had suspected about 
the, uh, the King's Chamber being a resonant space that was coupled harmonically with the earth. And uh, he did some uh, acoustic tests. He had a, a accelerometer set up and uh, some high-end equipment uh, <clears throat> for detecting vibration and, uh, and sound within a space or within a, a physical uh, solid. The, uh, what he detected in the King's Chamber, when there was no known source of energy actually coming into the chamber, was that the chamber resonated uh, to an F-sharp chord. And the uh, F-sharp chord, though, was infrasonic. It was uh, between two and nine hertz, he reports. Well, the, the, um, when it was when it was determined that it, it actually resonated on an F-sharp chord, it was speculated that the uh, ancient Egyptians were somehow doing the same thing that other ancient cultures did, such as the, the Hopi Indians. The Hopi Indians tuned their, their uh, pipes, their, their flutes to uh, an F-sharp chord. And so we have the uh, ancient Egyptians and, you know, they have this massive musical instrument that is resonating to the earth, to Mother Earth. And, uh, and it, it is actually uh, still resonating today. And so that the question then became, well, where, what is actually driving the energy? Is it the Coke bottle effect or the Helmholtz resonator effect with wind blowing over the shafts on the outside, or is it something else? And um, in my book, The Giza Power Plant, what I had um, theorized was that the Great Pyramid actually functioned as a coupled oscillator, and it was coupled with the Earth and actually absorbed the Earth's vibration. And so Danley's uh, discovery uh, supported the, the basic premise in the Giza power plant that the, the pyramid was a uh, was a, actually a gigantic musical instrument, uh, but uh, they treated the, the earth as a musical instrument also. And essentially a coupled oscillator is a device that if it's uh, drawing energy from a larger vibrating body and it's in harmony with that body, then it will continue to uh, to draw energy uh, as long as the larger body uh, is giving it up. So um, what the implications of that are, I mean, if we can, you know, just digress a little bit and let not uh, forget about the, uh, the scientific aspect of it or the engineering aspect of it, but the uh, anecdotal information that has come to us over the years from different explorers and visitors to the Great Pyramid. And it does seem to be a huge attraction for a large number of people who are, are actually affected by these vibrations when they go into the Great Pyramid. And it's something that they don't necessarily hear, but it's something that they feel. And uh, infrasonic sound being uh, below the, the range of human hearing can ha have an effect on the body. And they have done studies on the brain where they say that the brain resonates at six hertz. So that's well within that, those frequencies that are resident in the, in the uh, king's chamber in the Great Pyramid. 
So, so essentially, what you're saying then is it 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 is potentially a, a free energy machine. A free energy a machine, yeah. Or, or it's a it's a it's tapping into a source of energy that uh, is well known, because uh, essentially, what if you look at it, the complete theory of how this energy is is uh, collected and 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 used, what you have is a device that drives or it, it has a, it's like a pulse it drives a pulse into the earth um, it actually relieves the stresses in the plates so it drives the drives the plates into harmony what that what the earth does it gives up that energy there's a feedback into the the uh, the, the pyramid and so what you have is a coupled oscillator where you have a pulse, a pulse generator, uh, and then the structures above uh, that are inside the Great Pyramid are drawing that energy off and converting it to a different form of energy. So when you just a clarification, when you said plates, you meant te the tectonic plates of the Earth? Yes, wow. yes, the tectonic plates. And it has been, it has actually been speculated or proposed that if you do, um, in these heavily seismic zones, you know, where you do have a fault and you have a subduction zone, if you would uh, drill into the plate and then set off little mini earthquakes, maybe of about two, three on the Richter scale, but many of them, it would allow the plates to slide over each other easily instead of actually sticking together like they do. And then when the pressure builds up to a certain point, they, uh, they release that energy, but it's a very destructive event because you, 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 you get uh, 9.0 earthquakes or 7.0 earthquakes, which uh, can be very destructive. So if you can take that energy off over time, it, it can have a lot of benefit for society. So it's not, and then the, you can use that energy that you're drawing up uh, and uh, turn it and convert it into electricity. So is it your belief that they actually did do that, turn it into electricity in the old days? It's my belief, yes. I, the, I think the evidence is uh, fairly uh, fairly strong. Well, tell, uh, tell, tell, us not, ab tell us about that. Well, the evidence, uh, <clears throat> when we look at the Great Pyramid, we have a structure that has uh, three different systems working within it. The, the primary system is the pulse generator, and that is a hydraulic pulse generator that occurs in the, in the, in the uh, <clears throat> subterranean chamber. And that's at the end of the descending passage. So that's the lowest chamber of all. And essentially what that has actually been demonstrated um, by a gentleman who lives close to where you are, actually. It's uh, uh, John Cadman. He lives in Bellingham, Washington. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. And he was able to demonstrate that the uh, the, the, the uh, subterranean chamber actually functioned as a pulse generator. And he built a, a working model on his property. And the interesting thing about it is it actually beats like a heart. Well, I found it very fascinating. Yeah.
So if you, you you start with the lower chamber and you have that's that system there for for creating the priming pulse, or the prime pri, the primer to cause the uh, cause the re resonance in the earth, and then and then to start relieving the uh, the stresses in the plate. Then as you get up into the into the body of the, the, the pyramid, you have another system, and that system is uh, is the queen's chamber. <clears throat> and you being a chemist, you would uh, you would appreciate this. Uh, coming into the uh, queen's chamber uh, are two shafts. Now these shafts that come into the queen's chamber, you have a northern shaft and a southern shaft, and the shafts are terminated five inches from the inside wall of the chamber. Uh, they were discovered in 1872 by a gentleman by the name of Wayman Dixon, and he detected a hole in the wall. He was able to push a rod uh, through uh, to some space, and then uh, always looking for treasure, uh, started to chisel out the limestone and revealed uh, the shaft behind this, this, uh, this hole. The shaft is about eight inches square, eight by nine inches square, or, or a rectangle actually. And it goes off uh, about three feet into the wall horizontally and then at an angle of about 39 degrees uh, to a point uh, he didn't know uh, where it ended. And it, we did find out where it ended until 1993 um, when Rudolf Gantenbrink uh, built a robot and sent it up there and detected uh, that there was a blockage at the top end of the shaft, which is about 200 feet long. So, Chris, I'm actually going to stop you again there because it's another great moment to keep our listeners on edge as we talk about the Gantam Rink door. And uh, let's talk about that when we return in a moment. Right. It's uh, Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. 
Just a reminder that I'm going to be leading a sacred site tour to southern France with Finbar Ross in September, actually uh, over the uh, fall equinox. It's already pretty full and there's a tremendous group of people going. It's going to be a phenomenal trip. So if you are interested, please go to www.celticmysticaljourneys.com and look under the France tour for September this year and have a look at the itinerary. Um, it's going to be a tremendous, uh, tremendous opportunity for all of us to, to enjoy a very special experience. We're having a fascinating discussion today with Christopher Dunn, who is an engineer who has studied very closely uh, the Egyptian pyramids, amongst many other things. And just before the break, Chris, you were about to talk about Ganton Brink's door and, and, and the latest realization of what that's all about. So please continue. Oh, yes. <clears throat> Well, the, uh, the discovery of Gantenbrink's door cre created quite a stir in 1993 because it ended um, at a level that was higher than the king's chamber. And the, the conventional theory before that was that the three chambers in the Great Pyramid were built because the king cha kept changing his mind. In other words, they dug the, the chamber in the bedrock. He changed his mind about that. Then they built the Queen's Chamber, and he changed his mind about that, and then they finally built the, the King's Chamber. So, but anyway, that's a, a tomb theory that um, <clears throat> is uh, on its last legs, I think, and has been for a long time. But the, um, the, the Ganton Brinks discovery was uh, fascinating, um, and it did, it did uh, lend to the theory that I proposed in, in my book on the... Uh, on the use or purpose of the Queen's Chamber, because you have two uh, shafts uh, coming into the chamber. And I proposed in the Giza power plant that, they, uh, that this was a reaction chamber where they were delivering chemicals to the chamber where the chemicals mixed and uh, boiled off hydrogen. And the reason I, I, uh, I say that is because this chamber, uh, above all other chambers in the in the king's chamber, showed a, a tremendous amount of um, salts built up on the walls. The 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 early explorers going into that chamber found that they, for one, it, that it was a terrible odor about it, and two, the salts that were on the walls were about one inch thick. They uh, those salts have been since cleaned up, but the uh, there was a tremendous amount of uh, built up buildup of salts, and you don't have the same kind of buildup in the other parts of the pyramid. There are traces of it in the in the subterranean chamber and also the lower parts of the grand gallery. But just the queen's chamber, they had uh, they had this tremendous buildup of salt. So presumably they would have analysed what the salts were. Yes, and uh, presumably they would. Um, and I have the formula in my book, and I don't have my book out. I can't really give it to you right now. I That's think okay. it's some. I'm sorry, but, but it's, it's a. Uh, it's, <laughs> but it would have been a presumably if it was producing hydrogen, it would have been a a metal acid reaction of some sort. Well, yes, and the uh, the the you know the metal acid reaction is what I proposed. It was uh, a dilute hydrochloric acid coming through the southern shaft. And then um, a zinc hydrated zinc coming through the uh, the northern shaft, and then uh, mixing together, um, that reaction would actually boil off the hydrogen. I was able to demonstrate that for the an ancient aliens episodes that's coming up here in a, next month, I think. 
uh, I demonstrated the mixing of both of those uh, elements, the chemicals, and and got quite a nice reaction and uh, demonstrated the uh, the hydrogen by uh, igniting it. I was going to uh, say that's that's creating a potentially explosive mixture. Yes, I know. I had all all my uh, PPE on, uh, my personal pr protective equipment on when <laughs> I was doing that. <laughs> well, I did that reaction a million times when I was teaching chemistry at school. So, oh yeah. It was, so, it so was, what was the uh, what was the purpose of that then? Well, the uh, the purpose of that was uh, to uh, feed that uh, that gas into the king's chamber, and then the the uh, vibration. That, uh, that was created in the pyramid was collected in resonators that were installed in the grand gallery. Um, those resonators emitted airborne sound. So they converted uh, vibration coming through the solid rock uh, to airborne sound. And that was directed into the King's chamber. Then it was, it caused that the whole chamber to vibrate in sympathy with these with, with these harmonic frequencies, and even the the evidence leading into the the king's chamber shows that they may have been filtering the sound so that only these pure frequencies were were being fed into the chamber. Then the the giant granite beams above the king's chamber were vibrating in harmony too. And the characteristics uh, of these beams are that they are uh, square and straight on three sides, but the top side is extremely rough. Some of them have been had holes gouged into them, and there's there's no semblance to any accuracy about them at all. And what I proposed was that they've actually had more attention than uh, the sides that were straight, and and essentially what. The ancient Egyptians had done is that they tuned each one of these giant granite beams to a particular frequency, so that they would be they would absorb the energy coming into the chamber more readily and resonate and vibrate in sympathy with it. That then would affect the hydrogen and drive the hydrogen to a higher energy state. And the evidence for the electricity or the electromagnetic portion of it can be found in the northern wall and that is a shaft that comes through the, uh, from the outside from the north face into the chamber and the dimensions of that shaft are 8.4 inches wide and 4.8 inches high which would be suitable if you had a metal liner it would be suitable uh, for a waveguide for a microwave waveguide and the dimensions are approximate the dimensions of a hydrogen microwave, which is 8.309 inches, 8.309 inches. And so you have 8.4 inches uh, and then 4.8 inches. So that, that to me was a, a huge clue. Going opposite this, the, the hole in the uh, northern wall uh, is another hole in the southern wall and it's directly opposite and there's another sh another shaft that goes to the outside there but the opening is rather bulbous i mean it looks like a horn antenna and i took a photograph of that before gantenbrink got in there and, and installed the fan but i took a photograph of that back in 1986 and the copy of that photograph is in my book but 
that looks like a horn antenna. So the proposal is that the uh, microwave was fed down the northern shaft. Where did the microwave come from? Well, uh, it comes from the universe. Um, atomic hydrogen in the universe is constantly emitting these uh, these photons, if you will, and and essentially is bombarding the Earth twenty four seven. And so this microwave energy coming through into the chamber would stimulate emission in an energized gas and more and draw that energy off and focus it into the southern shaft where it would uh, be directed to the outside. I know it sounds pretty fantastic. Just, uh, I'm just I'm just yeah, I'm just puzzling over this. So, so in your um, experience and the evidence and being the engineer then, Looking, standing back for a moment and looking at the, the Great Pyramid, can you give us a, a little bit of a look at what it what what was it? What was it doing? What was it like? Well, I think uh, we have to look at the whole system. And as yeah. I look, sorry, no, that's exa exactly yes. Yeah, yeah, because you've got other pyramids there too. And when I when I kind of have a, a broad view of the entire uh, entire system, when you include all the other pyramids on the Giza Plateau, and then you have the pyramids at Dashur, you have the pyramid of Meidum, you have all, all of these other pyramids up and down, uh, you know, in that locality. Um, I see a system that is, was based on, uh, on harmony. It was based on musical harmony. Uh, in other words, a harmony that is pleasing to humans, uh, that re that actually resonates with humans and 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 of course the earth. So that was the prime objective. It was actually to create a system where each of these pyramids is like a uh, is like a node on a plate that is resonating at a particular frequencies, and they could have been different frequencies. But essentially, they were not just relieving the stresses in the earth, but they could have also been relieving the stresses in the human body, because certainly the human body would be affected by these harmonies. And uh, uh, they were terraforming and constructing an environment, an acoustic environment, that um, pacified the earth and also probably pacified the people too. So, Chris, we're actually coming up to our final break, which we'll take now, having a fascinating discussion with Christopher Dunn. We'll return in a moment. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. The Seventh Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. 
You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. We have with us today Christopher Dunn, who's giving us an incredible insight into the engineering of the Great Pyramid of Giza and, in fact, the whole of the Giza Plateau and what it meant and what it means to us. So, Chris, you've got a, a wonderful website with a lot of information. So tell our listeners about that. Yes, certainly. Uh, it's uh, www.gizapower.com. That's G-I-Z-A power.com. And there are articles on the, in my article section on Ganton Brink's door and some of the new research that, I, that I've been conducting uh, and also um, a new exploration that occurred in 2011 by... I think it was Lee's University. They built a ro- another robot and explored that shaft and revealed some uh, new features from behind Ganton Brink's door. So that's a fascinating uh, development, in my opinion. And, and, you've then, written, of course, sorry? You've written, and you've written two books? Yes. Uh, my first book is uh, The Giza Power Plant, Technologies of Ancient Egypt. That, is, uh, that was published in 1998 by Bear and Company. <laughs> and then my latest book is uh, The Lost Technologies of Ancient Egypt, Advanced Engineering uh, in the uh, Pyramids and Temples of the Pharaohs. And you've got a couple of events coming up shortly. You've got a, uh, a conference in Nevada City. Oh, this is, I'm really looking forward to this conference. It's in Nevada City at the uh, Spending Light Retreat, and it's a, uh, a Yugas conference. So I'm uh, I'm I'm really excited about that. The um, there's a link on my website where that uh, on the activities page that people can uh, link to that particular conference. Um, I, I know that Walter Cruttenden and Joseph Selby, Robert Shark is going to be there. So it's um, it's something. I mean, these people I I haven't met before, so I'm really looking forward to it. And you've got your own sacred site trip in Peru and Bolivia coming up in August. Well, I've got a, uh, I, I, I'm kind of uh, calling it a techno tour. The, <laughs> uh, my techno tour to South America, to Peru and Bolivia, or, you know, everything is sacred. You know, even though, even though the, uh, us engineers are uh, uh, most of the time left brain, the inspiration comes from the right brain. And, uh, you know, without it, we have to recognize that it's there. Absolutely. But, uh, this promises to be a great tour. We've got, we've got some wonderful people signed up on it. Brian Forrester is going to be uh, co-hosting it with me and his be- beautiful wife, Irene, is going to be along. It's going to be a great tour. And it's a... Um, uh, it's a tour. It's a follow-up to two previous uh, explorations I did down there, and I was uh, uncovering more of the uh, remarkable abilities of the ancient people in how they crafted stone, and you know how, the precision of the stone, uh, <clears throat> characteristics of it, what you know what they were actually used for. Because what what we're looking at today is just the skeleton of an ancient civilization. You know, we have, we need to show the ancients respect and we need to be able to, um, 
you know, uh, try to figure out just just the the brilliance of them, uh, the tools that they use, because uh, to put simple tools in the the hands of the of, of primitive people, these people were not primitive. Their conception and execution were brilliant. They were geniuses in execution of design. The geometry, the precision, the symmetry, uh, that's what I deal with in Lost Technologies of Ancient Egypt. The uh, ancient Egyptians were no simpletons when it came to design, when it came to geometry, mathematics. Um, it, 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 that is a wealth of information. The, the, the evidence of the tools that they use, the 37-foot diameter circular saw, uh, the evidence is there. It's at Abaroash at Giza. But uh, and there's the evidence in uh, in Bolivia. I mean, some of those, some of the uh, blocks that you find at Pumacunco are remarkable. They're incredible. What what were they for? So we hope to have a very very stimulating tour down there. We'll have lots of uh, great input. We've got engineers. We've got uh, geologists. I believe that have been signed up. That are signed up on it. And of course, uh, Brian is a uh, is a craftsman himself. So he's uh, he's going to be a great addition to the tour. Yeah, actually, Brian's Brian was on this show a few a few months ago. So oh, yeah. so let me ask you a couple of really uh, pointed questions before we get to the end of the show. So sure. how do you believe that these massive stones were actually lifted? Well, um, I I actually am a, a great believer in uh, Ed Lee Scalman's uh, statement when he said that he he had discovered how the pyramids of Egypt were built. And uh, then he built uh, Coral Castle, where he, here he is, he weighs less than 100 pounds soaking wet. <laughs> and, and he's lifting 30 ton blocks of stone. And there's no mechanical means that he has in his, in his tool shop to do that. I mean, I've been there. I've been there about three or four times. I've studied the uh, Coral Castle. And he has a, a, a 10 ton winch in his shop, uh, nothing that would lift uh, 30 tons. Uh, so, and then 22 ton uh, obelisk. Uh, it, it was a remarkable man. And the interesting thing about Ed is if there, there was only, uh, he could, 42, 4,000 Eds could have built the Great Pyramid instead of 100,000 at the conventional. Egyptologists uh, claim built the Great Pyramid. So Ed, Ed uh, by himself, uh, did remarkable work. And how did he do it? Well, I believe that he had, uh, he, he was heavily into, uh, he had a different view of physics, uh, for one thing. Uh, right or wrong, he, he, he d disputed what uh, the physicists said or electrician, uh, electrical engineers uh, said about the nature of electricity. And he thought he believed that gravity and electricity can be explained if you uh, consider that the uh, everything is made up of individual magnets, and it's uh, these individual magnets that are uh, streaming from the Earth through objects into space. Uh, that it, by working with these individual magnets, you would be able to affect change in the, the weight of something. So I believe that he had hit on a formula. Um, I believe it involves electromagnetics and mechanics, such as vibration, a sound of a particular frequency, but essentially being able to reverse the polarity of the, these individual ma magnets uh, 
uh, in an object and uh, allowing them to float. That's my belief. I, I, <clears throat> now, actually proving uh, proving that theory, that hypothesis, that that's another matter. I think he, I think the secret is in this little mysterious book that he wrote. It's uh, he called it a book for every home, and in it he left. He wrote on one page and he left one page opposite blank. And he said, for the reader, if they uh, can come up with a better explanation, they can write on that page or something to that nature. I'm paraphrasing now. But he left he left enough room for the reader to write their own story. Well, and I believe that the, he, uh, he his book is a metaphor because he, he calls it, uh, or it's about raising a young lady. So I think it's a metaphor. Okay. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, unlocking the code. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it neat, though? Here you have this precise engineering, but you still have the mystery surrounding it. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, he came through Canada. from He was from Latvia originally. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, you know, Chris, <laughs> we've actually come to the end of the show. I can't believe that we have. We, this time has flown by, and it's been an absolutely fascinate, fascinating time spent with you so i really really appreciate uh, your time today and please uh, listeners do go to www.geezerpower.com there's some absolutely wonderful fascinating information there so thank you so much chris really appreciate this oh you're more than welcome it's been my pleasure well let's take a deep breath there I, i'm following along so closely uh, just a wonderful wonderful discussion and obviously more information to follow and uh, lots of information on chris's website and in his books I hope you've enjoyed today's show. My guest next week will be Norma Hollis. Own your own life assignment. And she's going to help us find, live, and share that life assignment, whatever it is. Hope you've enjoyed today's show. Have a great week. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. We hope that you found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring. Please join host Peter Tung for another edition of Awakening to Conscious Creation next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network.